all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. At times like that, just look up and leave. It's up to us to go down the road that leads us back home. It's up to us to see we already are what we want to be. Don't give in to what others say. Bednar said it so perfectly. You were created in the image of God, and you are a beloved son or daughter of heavenly parents with a divine destiny. And like I tell my kids, never forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to The Worth of Souls. I'm Andrea. And I'm Brent. Today's lesson is thought habit number 10, choosing godly sorrow keeps me spiritually focused. Can you believe, Brent, that we're only a few lessons away from getting through all of the thought habits? That's crazy. So great. Uh, We really, really hope that you are enjoying this journey. And before we record every time, we pray for you. We hope you know that. The last time we talked, we, we went over the joy of daily repentance and how repentance is not punishment. That repentance simply means that we are turning back to God and living. Every day can be joyous in our daily lives. And we talked about what happens when we leave the light as opposed to what can happen when we choose to find joy in daily repentance. We went over those ways to create worldly sorrow and then talked about the steps of repentance and the purpose of those guilt feelings that they're to warn us, uh, that warning system that Heavenly Father gave us that we need to start repenting because we've left the light. And then the last thing we mentioned was not going into vain regrets because that is Satan's program, not the Lord's. So how are you doing? How's how's your repenting going? Yeah, if we Brother saw Smith? you on Sunday <laughs> and we saw you in the hallway, how's your repenting going? We hope that above all that your definition of repentance and what that means in your life has been expanded through the study that we did and that you continue to enjoy the the real joy that can come from daily repenting. After hearing the discussion on repentance, our friend Olivia emailed us. She she said this in her email. I loved the lesson on repentance so much. I've never given much thought to the doctrine of repentance because I've always felt like it only applied to those who have committed some grievous sin. I'm one of those church members who has just never strayed. I don't swear. I've always gone to church. I haven't ever really wanted to doubt the doctrine, and I've always just done my best to do what I'm told to do. And after listening to the repentance lesson, I realized that repentance was something that I really do need. It isn't just for horrible, serious mistakes. Repentance is for everyone and for every day. I decided to put up notes around my house that said, turn back to God and live. I put them on the fridge, on the mirrors, on my dashboard, and seeing the notes helped me to repent 
and turned to God dozens of times throughout my daily activities. I've noticed after doing this for a few days that I am more aware of service opportunities around me. I can see where I can show much more kindness, and my heart is being softened in amazing ways. I know it is a direct result of turning to God and repenting throughout my day. Repentance does equal more joy, close quote. She is so right. Just like President Nelson told us, daily repentance is a delight. Last time in the Steps of Repented, we ended the last step of bring forth fruit, meet for repentance with a little bit of a cliffhanger because it's a big enough subject that there is an entire thought habit dedicated to it. We mentioned briefly that bringing forth fruit, meet for repentance also can mean being born again or having a mighty change of heart or having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Sometimes we also heard the phrase having a new heart or becoming a new creature in Jesus Christ. All of these phrases are interchangeable. And in order to consistently stay in this light of having our natures changed and keep bringing forth fruit meat for repentance, we must understand the importance of godly sorrow and how it helps us to stay spiritually focused. So let's go look at the doctrine of that in Alma 13. Alma tells us about the priests that were ordained to the holy order of the priesthood with Melchizedek. It tells us a bit about these men and what they experienced. It specifically says they became high priests to the Lord because of their exceeding repentance and faith. After hopefully understanding repentance in a different way from the last lesson, this scripture should have great meaning for us. These high priests chose to repent and work righteousness. Then in verse 12, Alma tells us this. Now they, after being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, having their garments made white, being pure and spotless before God, could not look upon sin, save it were with abhorrence. And there were many, exceedingly great many, who were made pure and entered into the rest of the Lord their God. And now, my brethren... I would that ye should humble yourselves before God and bring forth fruit meet for repentance, that ye may also enter into that rest. Close quote. Entering into the rest of the Lord is hopefully something you have started to experience as you have been applying becoming spiritually focused throughout your day. Alma admonishes us to humble ourselves and enter into that rest that only God can give. Entering into his rest because of the atoning power of the Savior makes us into new creatures. The introduction to the 2021 Come Follow Me manual tells us a beautiful truth. It says this, The aim of all gospel learning and teaching is to deepen our conversion to Jesus Christ and help us become more like him. For this reason, when we study the gospel, we must not just look for new information. We want to become a new creature. This means relying on Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ to help us change our hearts, our views, our actions, and our very nature. Close quote. We want to reiterate to you, and please take a moment to feel the confirmation of this as well, that because you are learning and applying these thought habits of Jesus Christ, you are becoming a new creature in Christ. You are becoming born again. You are having a mighty change of heart. You are entering the rest of the Lord. 
just like those high priests were doing together with Melchizedek. It isn't something that is just off in the distance that will happen to you someday. You are going through that process right now in order to stay in this light of having our natures changed and keep bringing forth fruit meat for repentance. We must understand the, this importance of godly sorrow. So what is godly sorrow? And why is it important enough to be one of the main thought habits of Jesus Christ? Let's see what the prophets have to say about it. President Benson, he was a, he just taught all the time. He was a huge teacher and mentor for the concept of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I remember my mom reading so many things from him, trying to understand that whole concept. In an article he wrote called A Mighty Change of Heart, he tells us about godly sorrow. Quote, Godly sorrow is a gift of the Spirit. It is a deep realization that our actions have offended our Father and our God. It is the sharp and keen awareness that our behavior caused the Savior, he who knew no sin, even the greatest of all, to endure agony and suffering. Our sins caused him to bleed at every pore. This very real mental and spiritual anguish is what the scriptures refer to as having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Such a spirit is the absolute prerequisite for true repentance. Close quote. From President Benson's words, we understand a few things about godly sorrow. Number one that it is a gift of the Spirit. That is significant. Number two, that godly sorrow is not sadness. It is an awareness of what Jesus Christ went through for me. And three, godly sorrow means having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It means being able to stay in an emotional place to keep your mighty change of heart, and to keep experiencing born-again experiences. When we are sin-centered, we will have worldly sorrow as a focus in our lives. We went over worldly sorrow in the last lesson. When we are Christ-centered, we will have godly sorrow as a focus in our lives. There is a ginormous difference between those two focuses in our life. Initial repentance gets me into the light. Godly sorrow is what keeps me in the light because in that light is where we have our born-again experience and our mighty change of heart. Elder Uchtdorf, in his talk, You Can Do It Now, spoke about godly sorrow. He said this, Of all the principles taught by prophets over the centuries, one that has been emphasized over and over and over again is the hopeful and heartwarming message that mankind can repent, change course, and get back on the true path of discipleship. That does not mean that we should be comfortable with our weaknesses, mistakes, or sins. No. But there is an important difference between the sorrow for sin that leads to repentance and the sorrow that leads to despair. The Apostle Paul taught that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow inspires change and hope 
through the atonement Jesus Christ. Worldly sorrow pulls us down, extinguishes hope, and persuades us to give in to further temptation. Godly sorrow leads to conversion and a change of heart. It causes us to hate sin and love goodness. It encourages us to stand up and walk tall in the light of Christ's love. True repentance is about transformation, not torture or torment. What I learned from these statements from Elder Uchtdorf and President Benson and many other prophets, I mean, you can find this in a lot of places, is that it is not our sins and mistakes that we are to focus on. We are to focus on what Christ went through for me. And in that, it creates a change of heart. It creates godly sorrow. When our feelings of love for Jesus are dominant, then we do not return to our sins and mistakes because he makes us into new creatures. What was the main emotion that Christ felt when he was going through the atonement? It was love and joy. And President Nelson reiterated that when he told us this. Just as the Savior offers peace that passeth all understanding, he also offers an intensity, depth, and breadth of joy that defy human logic or mortal comprehension. As in all things, Jesus Christ is our ultimate exemplar, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Think of that. In order for him to endure the most excruciating experience ever endured on earth, our Savior focused on joy. And what was the joy that was set before him? Surely it included the joy of cleansing, healing, and strengthening us. The power of the joy of paying for the sins of all who would repent. The joy of making it possible for you and me to return home clean and worthy to live with our heavenly parents and families. It is difficult for me to contemplate the reality of the atonement. But when I think of it through the lens that President Nelson just gave us, that Christ was focusing on joy, the joy of providing a way for me and you to be cleansed and healed while he paid that ultimate price. My heart fills with such gratitude for him that it feels like it might burst. On the slide, if you're looking at the visuals with us, we have an image of a partially completed bridge. Too many of us, because it's the natural man way and it's yeah. part of our culture part, in the church. <laughs> part of life a lot of times. We assume that the to bridge the gap between where we are in our natural man fallen state and the eternity that we desire to get to, that we build part of the bridge through our good works and obeying the commandments. And then Christ builds the other part, that somehow what I do together with what Christ did gets me into the presence of God and Heavenly Mother. This is a terrible misconception in the church. The reality is Christ is the entire bridge. Christ is the bridge between me and exaltation, God's life, over the chasm of death and, death and hell that I could never, ever get over on my own. And the beautiful thing is that Christ 
doesn't want me to beat myself up when I repent. He doesn't want me in self-condemnation while I'm walking across the bridge that he built for me. He wants me to have joy in every day of my life because the atonement that he performed was for me. He's like, he's like a parent on Christmas morning. He's so excited to see the child open up the gift that was meant just for them. Yeah, well, and I mean, when we as parents give our kids gifts, I mean, our kids are excited, but man, we it's so much more exciting for us. It is. It's just so fun to see their faces light up when they get that exact gift that right. they were wanting. And when that's, I think about that from Jesus's viewpoint, how if that's a little I mean, if I feel a little bit of the excitement for my kids, the way that he feels about us when we open that gift. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the gift that he gave to us. President Monson said it beautifully in his talk, The Bridge Builder. He said this. For our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was the supreme architect and builder of bridges for you, for me, for all mankind. He has built the bridges over which we must cross if we are to reach our heavenly home. Jesus, the bridge builder, spanned that vast chasm we call death for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Hence mankind can cross the bridges he built into eternal life. I absolutely love the imagery of Christ being the entire bridge because it helps me to it helps my motivations that I want to do my performances for him and doing my gospel to-do list, it really becomes easy when he is the focus because my motivation for doing it is out of love. Godly sorrow keeps us in the light of Jesus Christ. It keeps us spiritually centered because we are made into new creatures because of our Savior. As we focus on his atonement, the dominating emotion that we will feel every time is love. And this kind of love actually brings up within us, it can bring up some very real mental and spiritual deep feelings and anguish for what the Savior went through for, for your sins and for my sins. And as I feel those emotions, those deep, really gratitude emotions, my capacity to feel his great love for me will be expanded. This is the exact reason why when we take the sacrament, that we're told to take time to think about what Christ went through for us because it expands us. And the atonement, it has paid for every sin we have or ever will make. Even after becoming born again, you are still going to sin and you are still going to make mistakes just like I am. And the main point is it's whether or not we are in the straight and narrow path, feeling the Holy Ghost daily in our lives in order to have that perfect brightness of hope from thought habit number one. And if we know that Jesus Christ is right by our side as we keep seeking to become more like him, that is where the peace comes. It is very powerful to do something that we call go to the garden. 
Whenever we make a mistake or are even feeling the pains that come with remorse of conscience or just a physical pain that we feel, We've mentioned this idea of going to the Garden of Gethsemane before, but I want to pause for a second and tell, just talk about more about what I mean when I say that. When I am feeling the pain of remorse or guilt or feeling any kind of real pain in my body from an injury or an illness or emotional and mental trauma, I visualize myself walking reverently into the Garden of Gethsemane. And being a silent witness to the pains that he chose to bear, that caused himself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain, to bleed at every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit. And as I stand there and I witness what he went through for me, I am then fully prepared to go through any amount of pain that I have brought upon myself or that the Father seeth fit to inflict upon me for my Savior. You can use this powerful visualization all the time throughout your everyday experiences. When I slam my finger in the car door, I can immediately go to the garden and be willing to go through that pain for him who suffered so much pain for me. Or when I have lower back issues and it flares up, which it does sometimes, the enticement of that can help me go to the garden and be willing to go through that uncomfortable pain for my Savior. And it it makes that experience worthwhile. Or in the case of our friend Carolyn that we told you about in the last lesson that shared her anguish that she goes through because of the spiritual loss of her children. When she is finding Jesus on her bathroom floor, she can choose to go into the garden with him in those moments and will be so much more willing to endure those heartbreaks because of what he went through for her. Or my sister, whose body, her body was just tortured with the pains of cancer that eventually took her life. And in those seemingly endless hours of agony, and I, I know this because she told me this herself, that she used that pain to help her better understand a little bit more of what Jesus mercilessly went through for her and to be filled with gratitude for her own pains um, that drew her closer to her Savior. Or our dear friend who lost her baby to SIDS, when the very real, tangible pain of that loss becomes overwhelming for her. She pictured herself walking into that majestic scene in the garden and witnessing his grief and knowing that the grief that she was asked to pass through is familiar to him. And she can agree to bear it all because she can see him bearing it all for her. This brings up a very important point that our capacity to feel sorrow actually opens up levels of spirituality that are poignant. As we expand our capacity to feel sorrow, and through godly sorrow we're talking here, not worldly sorrow, we also expand our capacity to feel joy. And the deeper I can feel Christ's pain and suffering for me, 
the greater the joy that I feel from this ultimate act of love. This is the reason why when you stay spiritually centered in the midst of an adversity that you release the power of Christ and miracles can occur. And when you're willing to suffer for Christ and go through the pain of your trials for him, it expands your capability to feel greater joy. One of the best analogies for this is when a woman is going through childbirth and pregnancy. (laughs) Jesus understands the immense suffering and pain of all of those experiences with pregnancy and childbirth in really beautiful ways. And when a woman is willing to go through the suffering and the pain in order to get her child here, one of the main reasons she's able to go through it is by focusing on the joy of her baby and the love, the deep love she feels for her baby. It's beyond anything else that she could ever imagine. And when that baby comes, oh my goodness, how much her suffering is swallowed up in joy and how it gets stronger with every single child. I can attest to that, even not being a woman, that the the, the joy increases. When we had our first son, I felt my heart explode the first time I held him in my arms. And I thought to myself, I don't know how I could love someone so much that I just barely met. And I remember being very concerned as the birth of our second child was approaching that I was now going to have to split my love in two and share it between my two children. But as all you parents know, a miracle occurred when I looked into the face of my brand new baby girl. Just like the Grinch, my heart grew three sizes that day. And my capacity for love increased because it included both my son and my daughter now. Yeah. Well, and just in case our other two kids listen to this, which I hope that you eventually will, just know that the same thing happened with you too. (laughs) Well, and I want to add here as well, I've talked to many parents who are adoptive parents who for whatever reason have not been able to have children on their own. And when they go through the adoption process, it's very much their own pregnancy and childbirth process with so many of the different things that they go through in order to adopt that baby. And that that is encompassed inside of all of these feelings as well. I I really wanted to make sure to, to say that for those dear friends of mine who have experienced that themselves. This universe, it's, it's always in perfect balance. And when we choose to live in the space of godly sorrow, our capacity to feel joy increases as a direct result of remembering the suffering that Jesus went through for us. And when, whenever anyone goes through any really difficult adversities, like going through difficult infertility, Maybe forgiving a spouse after adultery was committed or losing a child. Remember, if you're temporally focused during these adversities, then those experiences are not worthwhile for us. If we are temporally focused during those moments in our journey, then we will become bitter and angry and a victim to life and start shaking our fist at heaven with a how could you do this to me attitude. However, 
if we go to the garden and then go through those very difficult things for Jesus, our capacity to feel joy and the love of our Father in heaven will just expand. This concept is what helps us to become new creatures through godly sorrow. We want to tell you a story about someone we love who went through an extremely heavy drug addiction, then found recovery through their Savior. Her understanding of godly sorrow is beautiful. We're going to call her Diana. When Diana was a young teenager, about 13 years old, the path of her addiction started with turning to smoking as an escape for the trauma that was going on in her home. She was also introduced to drinking at a young age and a lifestyle that led her away from the gospel. A few years later into her 20s, she got involved with prescription drug use, which led to a heroin addiction. At this point, she had a young infant. She was on her second marriage, and she was going back and forth to jail. For the first several years of her son's life, she was nearly completely absent from him because of her addiction. The drug use started getting so bad that it took everything from her, her relationships, her home, her income, and she was not able to care properly for her son. Diana remembers looking back at how she would try to get clean. She would try and fail so many times. She knew the drugs and the lifestyle were harming her body. She would try to get clean with the motivation that she just knew she needed to do better. And within days, she was back to using again. She started realizing how many relationships were damaged in her life, especially with her son. And she wanted to get clean so that she could have healthy relationships again. But then again, within days, she would be using again. She kept going back and forth within worldly sorrow, self-condemnation cycle throughout the years. And she got so low that she didn't even know if she was going to survive her addiction. Her family, especially her mother, remembers feeling more relief when she was in jail than when she was on the streets, because at least then she knew she was safe and drug-free. Eventually, Diana completely wore out every avenue of recovery. After years of trying to help her, her siblings had to make the difficult decision to set boundaries because of the dangers she presented to their own families. They were expecting a call at any day that she had overdosed and died. She remembers facing the reality that she was actually going to die. In the lowest of low moments, she finally reached to the heavens with everything she could muster. She knew she needed to find Jesus. She started seeking him. She started going to recovery meetings with the motivation of finding Jesus there. She kept trying to get clean, and with each success, she turned to Christ. And with each mess up, she also turned to the Lord. As she sought Christ, she was able to stay clean longer and longer. She kept going to different types of churches, looking for Christ there. Each Sunday worship she went to was another stepping stone to coming back to the restored gospel. She remembers the day she came back to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and started slowly building her testimony again. She kept turning her face back to God, and she found she was succeeding and living and truly on the path to sustained recovery. Repentance, the true meaning of repentance, of turning back to God and living, made the difference in her life. She has told us many times that worldly sorrow did not work. Only godly sorrow could help her stay in the light. 
the deeper she felt Christ's pain and suffering for her and focused on his atonement, the greater the joy she started feeling because of his supreme act of love. And she was saved literally from death. The more Diana's love and appreciation for the Savior grew, the more she could comprehend what he went through for her. And then her love was able to grow more and more. And it was from that source of love that she was able to find solutions to overcome her addictions. It is the exact same with each of us, no matter what our particular sins are. Worldly sorrow keeps us focused on our sins. It keeps us in a space where we punish ourselves, where Satan can have control over our emotions and he can push us further into depression and anxiety and darkness. Worldly sorrow takes away the capacity to feel the power of our Savior and his atonement. And even after repenting, sometimes we can still go back to worldly sorrow because of vain regrets. And if that happens, then godly sorrow is not dominant in our lives. After we have found the joy of repentance, it helps us go to a spiritual focus. And our sins have no power over Christ and his atonement. When we realize that Jesus is the entire bridge, we can access his power to change our very natures. And it helps us to increase our spirituality even when we haven't necessarily sinned. Anytime, anytime we realize that we need to incre- increase our spirituality, we can repent. And in that repentance, it puts us in a place to feel the impact of the Savior's atonement for us, for me. It helps me to have the attitude that Maxwell talked about with the last lesson that, Oh God, make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee. It helps us to feel godly sorrow. We want to talk for a minute about something that comes up a lot of times when we are trying to repent. It came up in Diana's story. It's different levels of being sorry. The first level of being sorry is when I am me-centered. It's when we need to do better, but my motivation is to do better only because of the impact that it's going to have on me personally. It's ego-centered. It's only for me. Like when Diana talked about that she wanted to get better from her addiction because she knew it was hurting her body and she wanted to be better for herself. That level of being sorry isn't enough. It wasn't enough for her to find recovery from her addiction. The next level of being sorry is where others focused. We're centered on how our actions have impact on on hurting other people. And we know the pain and the hurt that we've caused them. Again, in Diana's story, we mentioned that she knew she needed to get clean because of her relationships, especially with her son. But that even wasn't enough for her to get well from her illness. The final level of being sorry or wanting to change is when we finally become Christ-centered. We want to do better because of the great love we feel for Jesus, and getting into his light helps us to align ourselves and feel his great love. The cool thing is that when we are focused on Christ as our reason, we also get the benefit of both of the other levels. We're going to see self-improvement. We're going to want to take care of ourselves like President Nelson talked about. Every breath will improve. 
and we will be able to focus, focus on improving the relationships around us with others as well. President Benson, in that same article that we cited earlier, A Mighty Change, mentioned this. He said, quote, Therefore, repentance means more than simply a reformation of behavior. Many men and women in the world demonstrate great willpower and self-discipline in overcoming bad habits and the weaknesses of the flesh. Yet, at the same time, they give no thought to the master, sometimes even openly rejecting him. Such changes of behavior, even if in a positive direction, do not constitute true repentance. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which sincere and meaningful repentance must be built. If we truly seek to put away sin, we must first look to him who is the author of our salvation. Close quote. Just like President Benson said, godly sorrow, focusing on our Savior, is the only way to have true, lasting repentance in our lives. We want to go back to Diana because her story is not finished yet. We have more to share with you in order to help just to outline the beauty of godly sorrow um, that she's still using in her life. It's years later now, and she's been in recovery for quite a while. And her son is now a teenager. She has seen through the years now of being clean how much it affected him to have his mother absent during the first formative years of his life. She really is seeing consequences of how her drug abuse has had such an impact on him. She's been doing everything that she can think of, of just ways to help him to be okay, but he has chosen quite a rough path at this point including constant stealing, pornography addiction, and morality issues. Diana, out of anyone, <laughs> can understand and know exactly what lies in store for him if he chooses to continue on his current path. We were sitting down one day and we were talking about this, and I, I asked her how she was doing with her own feelings of what's happening with her son and what her path also meant for him. And she looked at me and she said this, Andrea, I can't choose to focus on my past mistakes. That path is the path towards acting out on addiction for me. If I focus on those mistakes I made, I know it's only a matter of time before I will just go and get high again to feel better. I have learned to turn to God. He knew what family my son was going to be coming to. He knew this path I was going to be choosing. He knew everything. I chose a long time ago to trust that God and Jesus have me. They have a plan for me and my son as well. This path, it's going to be full of a lot of pain. I can see easily down that road. But if I choose to go to regrets about what I should have done, then it's not going to do any good for anyone. I can't focus on my past. I have to focus on what I can do now for my son. And I just keep choosing every day to focus on Jesus Christ. Close quote. I, I remember sitting down with her when we were talking about this and just feeling her testimony, how she has become truly a new creature in Jesus Christ, and that she's choosing to be spiritually focused even through the pain and the anguish that she's experiencing with her son. Because she knows God is the one who will have her answers on this path that she's going through. 
Peter Simona, in his manual Becoming Christ-Centered, said this about godly sorrow, quote, As we learn about godly sorrow and repentance, it's important to remember these three truths. Number one, we choose whether or not to sin. I am in charge of what I think, feel, and do. Number two, we do not choose the consequences of sin. Every decision we make, good or bad, carries an accompanying consequence. Number three, we choose what to do with the suffering that results from sin. We can choose to remain miserable and to be sin-centered, or we can choose to be Christ-centered and focus on feeling Christ's pain for us because of our sin, and thus to grow in love and joy. Close quote. When we choose to be focused on Jesus Christ and go to the garden in order to really try to feel some of what he went through for us, then our love and joy grows. We find rest in Jesus and we become born again and we have that mighty change of heart and we have the opportunity to become new creatures in Jesus Christ. The number one stumbling block, let's talk about this, to feeling godly sorrow is when we, surprise, surprise, choose to go to vain regrets. (laughs) We talked about this in detail in the last lesson. When we emotionally wrap ourselves around our past mistakes, whatever they might be, large or small, we choose for that moment in time to abandon the atonement of Jesus Christ that has paid for those mistakes in full, like Elder Holland described. Sometimes vain regrets can lead to more serious issues with going deeper in darkness, going to the self-condemnation cycle, or returning to our sin itself. But... Here's the cool thing. Guess what? (laughs) We can actually remember our past sins and have it create feelings of love and joy in our temples instead. When any of our past mistakes or sins come to our mind, or if anybody else chooses to remind us of them, like our children or our spouse, (laughs) then we can immediately go to the garden and we can feel the great love that Jesus has for us. I can feel his willingness to suffer and bleed and die so I can walk in the light and feel the Spirit. It helps me remember that when I feel the Holy Ghost, that I am clean and forgiven, and I can have a perfect brightness of hope. I can feel this great joy, not because of remembering my past sins or going to regret, but I can rejoice in the fact that I am saved from those sins through Jesus Christ. And my gift back to the Savior is to remain in godly sorrow so I can be happy and productive and keep choosing to be born again because of his atonement. Andrea brought up the idea that although healing has happened, the scars from the mistakes that I have made in my past remain, or that the scars that have come because of someone else hurting me also still remain. Forgiveness is a key component to understanding when we go to the garden to have that experience with the Savior, how to remain in godly sorrow. Forgiveness simply means that we are choosing to give our past mistakes and, our past, and the past mistakes of others to Christ, and he gets to carry them. President Faust gave a powerful talk called The Healing Power of Forgiveness. In that, he said this, Dr. Sidney Simon, a recognized authority on values realization, has provided an excellent definition of forgiveness as it applies to human relationships. 
Forgiveness is freeing up and putting to better use the energy once consumed by holding grudges, harboring resentments, and nursing unhealed wounds. It is rediscovering the strengths we always had and relocating our limitless capacity to understand and accept other people and ourselves. If we can find forgiveness in our hearts for those who have caused us hurt and injury, we will rise to a higher level of self-esteem and well-being. Some recent studies show that people who are taught to forgive become less angry, more hopeful, less depressed, less anxious, less stressed, which leads to greater physical well-being. Another of these studies concludes that forgiveness is a liberating gift that people can give themselves. Forgiveness is liberating. Doctrine and Covenants section 64 verse 10 says, I the Lord will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. Guess who is included in all men? Yourself. When we see the scars that remain from once opened wounds now healed, we must allow the forgiveness that Jesus offers freely and choose to partake of these beautiful results that President Faust talked about. Not only does forgiveness give amazing physical results, it also pushes our spiritual momentum forward. President Nelson spoke about how we can increase spiritual momentum in our lives. And in one of the five things that he mentioned, he asked us to forgive. He pled with us to forgive because our world needs the gifts that come from forgiveness. He said this. It can seem impossible to forgive those whose destructive actions have hurt the innocent. And yet the Savior admonished us to forgive all men. We are followers of the Prince of Peace. Now more than ever, we need the peace only He can bring. How can we expect peace to exist in the world when we are not individually seeking peace and harmony? Brothers and sisters, I know what I'm suggesting is not easy, but followers of Jesus Christ should set the example for all the world to follow. I plead with you to do all you can to end personal conflicts that are currently raging in your hearts and in your lives. If forgiveness presently seems impossible, plead for power through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ to help you. As you do so, I promise a personal peace and a burst of spiritual momentum. If we are to become the Zion-like people we wish to be, we must heed the words of our prophet and choose to forgive all men. I testify along with President Nelson that forgiveness, both of others and especially of ourselves, will result in spiritual momentum. Okay, to recap. If we are seeking daily repentance, then we've got to see it all the way through to the final step, which is to choose godly sorrow. Repentance is what gets us back into the light, and then godly sorrow is what keeps us in the light. It keeps us on the bridge that Christ has built for us. When we choose this, we will feel born-again feelings and feel the mighty change of heart. It will come upon us and we will become new creatures in Christ. And then when we sin again, because it will be a daily occurrence in this fallen world, then we can use the remorse of conscience or any other physical or emotional pain 
that comes in order to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and to witness again what your Savior has done for you. And don't abandon the light of godly sorrow through vain regrets. Remember to forgive all men, including yourself. Okay, with that, it's time for Alma's process of change. Today, we want to invite you to plant the seed of choosing godly sorrow keeps me in the light. First, to awake and arouse your faculties and see as Christ sees. In your study over the next few days, review the conference talks and scriptures that we have provided to gain a deeper understanding of the role of godly sorrow and what it does in your life. Maybe even find conference talks about the mighty change of heart that you can read about and listen to the prophets testify of the miracle that forgiveness has in our lives, both for ourselves and for others. Second is to exercise a particle of faith so that you can think as Christ thinks. Intentionally think of some of your past sins. Then envision the Savior in the garden and on the cross paying for them in full. Pray 10 to 15 times throughout your day for a confirmation that the atonement has covered every single sin that you have committed and every sin that you will commit. As you pray, practice the visualization of going into the garden so it becomes easy to draw on that when other past sins are brought up or when physical or emotional pain comes to you. We have some specific prayer phrases you can use in the sample prayer that we've provided on our website. Now, a desire to believe and let this desire work in you in order to feel as Christ feels. Pray for confirmation, again, that you are clean and forgiven. Pray to know that you are on that bridge that Christ has built for you to eternity. And pay attention to the amazing swelling motions and the enlightening of your mind and and the deliciousness that all of this is going to give you for the atonement of your Savior, Jesus Christ, and that it will come as a result from receiving these confirmations from the Holy Ghost. And use the eye of faith in order to see yourself walking into the Garden of Gethsemane and witness the great and lasting sacrifice that was performed for you there. See yourself being willing to accept, like a little child, all things that the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon you because of what Jesus went through for you. And also with that eye of faith, see yourself being welcomed into the presence of your heavenly parents because you have been pronounced clean through the blood of your Savior. Fourth is to give place for a portion of my word. And we do this through the searching and pondering and praying over the next couple of days about godly sorrow, not because Brent and Andrea asked you to, but because of the love that you have for your Savior. And don't cast these truths out by your unbelief. Remember that Satan's number one tool to keep you out of the light of godly sorrow is you choosing to dredge up old mistakes and reopen old wounds by participating in vain regrets. Don't do it. Satan will also try to minimize the visualization exercise of going to the garden. The next time you stub your toe or bonk your head, Satan is going to try to tell you that, oh, it's so stupid to take such a little pain into the garden. Don't believe his lies. Just like we talked about with the enticements lesson, 
you must exercise the spiritual muscle of going to the garden with the simple things so that you are prepared with this as an automatic reaction when the big adversities come into your life. The Lord tells us in section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants that the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me. We want to close differently today. Um, We're going to invite you to pray or to sing with us the words of one of our most precious hymns, I Stand All Amazed, which was my mom's favorite hymn, by the way. My brother, Johnny Kay, put together a beautiful rendition of this beloved hymn that we want to share with you to close this lesson. It is our testimony that he was crucified, that for me, a sinner, he suffered, he bled and died, and that we think of his hands pierced and bleeding to pay our debt. Such mercy and such love and devotion we will never forget, and we will declare forevermore Oh, it is wonderful that he should care for me, enough to die for me. Oh, it is wonderful, wonderful to me. In the name of our most beloved Savior, our brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. I stand all amazed at the love Jesus offers me Confused at the grace that so fully he proffers me I tremble to
Souls Podcast is not an official publication of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you have any questions about the doctrines discussed here, please visit the church's official website for clarification.